Welcome back, listeners, to In the Black. Got Louis Dooley here with me again in the podcast booth. How are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Very good. Now, this has to be one of the most exciting parts of the year for you. Plenty of activity. We're about to roll into reporting season here in Australia. We sure are, yeah. It's um, it's certainly a busy time for us in the uh, financial services space. Um, companies, in short, companies will come to the market and provide a little bit of an update as to how they've been tracking over the last 12 months. Um, but then importantly for us is to what their outlook looks like over the next 12, 18, 24 months. Um, this is a time where analysts will you know, structurally reset their forecasts and what they expect to see from companies moving forward um, based on those you know, guidance provided by companies, um, which functionally changes how we as investors um, perceive fair value in the market. You know, analysts and, and market commentators will provide their, I guess, their guidance or what they expect, and um, we need to reset our positioning um, as a result of what that outlook looks like. Yep. Markets are forward-facing first and foremost. So Exactly. Now, this does roll around twice a year Yep. and takes place over, what, approximately a month, kicking off around early August here now, and we'll roll through for the next few weeks as the different businesses come to market and provide us that bit of guidance and a bit of a retrospective look on how they've been going. Yeah, so this is the largest, I guess, reporting season of the year. It's the for most companies that report on a financial year basis, uh, this is their end of financial year reporting season. So um, we'll start to see a lot more clarity and a lot more information divulged by those companies in this part of the reporting cycle. Yeah. Now, we have always tried to cover the uh, a pre-look at the reporting season. Now, historically, during the midst of COVID, a lot of businesses were winding back on providing any clarity or forecasting around their their uh, position for the next 24 months. That sounds like it's starting to change. So what is the outlook for FY24 and the earnings position? Yeah, look, I think earnings well, earnings will be tested and the resilience of earnings particularly will be tested. Now, we're not of the view that they will necessarily fall off a cliff, but in the same vein, um, there is certainly some pressure and some some softening in the broader economy domestically, and we expect that to flow through into historic earnings updates, but then importantly, how businesses are positioning their individual operation for the oncoming 12 months. Um, as I said, you know, there will be a degree of earnings erosion to an extent, is our expectation, um, but there'll certainly be pockets of the market that will be in a position to retain their earnings and, and maintain um, you know, a solid or favourable outlook moving forward into this more turbulent or choppy economic environment that we're in and probably continuing to be so. Yeah, so because um, leading into this, you really look at looking at it from a macro level. How is Australia tracking? Yep. Where inflation's at? And now you finally then get this uh, this from the bottom up approach to these businesses on where they're at right now and they get to tie both of those in. And that's where you can start breaking it down into what sectors hopefully will outperform going forward into the future, given the, to, given the characteristics of those businesses and the, the sectors that they play in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when you, when you take a, a macro perspective, you can kind of have a bit of an indication or an expectation as to how that broader sector exposed to certain macro, um, you know, components of the economy will play out. But as you exactly said, every business is an individual business. They have their own idiosyncratic corporate risks. Um, they're run by people and people make mistakes. So ultimately, um, this is the time where you can see exactly the businesses that are on our watch list, the businesses that are in our portfolios, how they're performing. And then um, as an investment committee, we functionally reset our portfolios, our asset allocation and the like to ensure that um, 
we're appropriately exposed to businesses that should foresee a, a, a more favourable or relatively favourable um, 12 months moving forward. Yeah, and I know we've touched on this uh, a fair bit, but just really quickly at a high level, at that macro point, um, inflation, RBA cash rates, how's that all tracking at this stage and what are you seeing in the inflation figures? Yeah, so um, from a cash rate perspective, the RBA's obviously paused for the last few meetings. Um we still expect some upward pressure to that cash rate just predicated on the inflation readings that are still coming through. Um, whilst headline inflation is undeniably moder- moderated from the peaks we saw late last year, um, what has happened in that inflation print is a bit of a shift in the composition of it. Product-based inflation has really started to contract. Um, you know, you think about the drivers of that, it was COVID-constrained COVID supply constraints or COVID supply constraints, um, and then the implication of the Ukraine-Russia conflict really put a number of bottlenecks in a number of supply chains, um, really pushing up uh, or propelling product-based inflation throughout that period. Now, a lot of those risks have started to abate to an extent, but inflation's still high. And the reason is this because service-based inflation has really started to ramp up. Now, that poses an interesting or a new environment on the basis that product-based inflation, as I mentioned, is a little more cyclical in nature. Supply bottlenecks can abate pretty quickly, just as quickly as they've emerged. But service-based inflation is traditionally a little bit stickier. You know, you think about the input drivers there, and one of the major ones is wages. People don't take the take a pay cut to render the same services we've discussed in the past. So um, it it it's a new environment, while still a similar from an inflation perspective. It's a new composition, and I guess headwind that businesses need to appropriately um, accommodate in their in their outlooks moving forward. Yeah. And is recession here in Australia still a, a part of the topical conversation? Because yeah. I know some investors are still pretty worried about what that might be. It most certainly is still a topical component. Obviously, um, you know, that macroeconomic data is a driving force for a lot of companies' ability to execute upon their growth strategies, whatever it may be. But um, our position remains that we think Australia should avoid a technical recession. Um, and it's really predicated on that wage environment or the employment environment more broadly. Um, Australia's got a, you know, excluding the very bottom, um, we're, ne- we're still at near decade lows um, of unemployment. So people are still in the economy earning money. Retail sales have started to come off a little bit, um, but relative to where a lot of analysts and economists were forecasting, they're relatively robust. So we haven't seen that you know earnings cliff just yet, um, and and we don't foresee it to be um, as bad as it as it could have been, um, maybe as or as people were positioning maybe twelve months ago. Um, so we think Australia should avoid a technical recession, um, but ultimately there's a number of uncontrollable variables in the economy um, globally as well. Um, I can change that opinion pretty quickly. Yeah. So with earnings potentially being a little softer, being the concern there, what does the outlook on the dividend front? Because obviously a lot of investors, we do work a lot about forecasting for the next 12 months about how we create consistent, reliable income streams for a lot of our clients. Um, what does that dividend outlook look, look like? Yeah, I mean, you think about um, from an earnings perspective, ultimately, if there is a degree of erosion, then if you were to keep everything else constant, particularly that payout ratio, then naturally that dividend should contract to an extent. Um, We take that a step further, however, and do believe that there is, I guess, more excuses for companies to cut that dividend payout ratio, um, which is 
you know, the amount of uh, earnings they pay out via a dividend. Um, and so we think there is more of a rationale or reason for a company to, to reduce that dividend. Um, primarily, uncertainty in the economy. People want to, well, businesses want to retain more capital on the balance sheet to give them that buffer in the case things sour further. Uh, the other component, increasing um, interest expenses and associated debt um, makes the capital expenditure items more expensive. Um, and so if businesses want to continue to invest for growth, they need to invest a larger portion of, of, of earnings um, into that growth runway. So we do think um, there is probably risk to dividends. Um, and so we're being very selective in what exposures we retain um, on that basis. If we have a look at more of a sector specific view, um, over the last you know, 24 months, the best dividend payers have been energy and materials. Yeah, they've been phenomenal. They've been phenomenal. Um, but they are cyclical businesses. Correct. Um, if we look at energy specifically, um, they are going through, or the, a lot of the majors in, on our market anyways, are going through a pretty material capex or investment cycle. So that plays into the exact thesis that I was talking through earlier is that they don't, whilst cash flows have moderated to an extent, um, we believe that dividend will, co- will come off further than what the earnings erosion will be based on increased expenditure lines that are coming about um, in this environment that we're in. And it's important to <clears throat> have a look through on that because as an investor, yes, uh, you might see it as a bit of a red flag when dividends are cut, but it's really about the business um, shoring up its balance sheet. But at the end of the day, you also don't want to see a company that's just trying to maintain the growth of their dividend going forward at the cost of its balance sheet because you can then get trapped in a bit of a, a, a bad spiral there from a, a business perspective on paying out too much yeah, to underlying investors. So you've got to be wary when you're looking through at the read on those because you don't want them to be paying out dividends just for the sake of maintaining their year-on-year growth rate of their dividend. Yeah, spot on. That's a big one. If earnings are eroding and dividends are growing, then you start to wonder um, what are they drawing down on to pay that dividend? Is it going to implicate the next 12, 24 months as a result, importantly? So, you know, it plays into that, you know, very common term, a, a dividend trap um, where businesses pay out too much of earnings um, and then uh, in effect hamstring themselves and aren't able to grow the business and therefore investors will incur a capital decline more than offsetting what they received via a dividend. So it's a little bit of a, a balancing act for a company's uh, perspective to keep investors happy and still pay out that distribution but ensure that that business um, is still growing or at least retaining or maintaining um, the cash flows that investors are fundamentally buying that business for. That's exactly right. And that's an important element is you're investing in that business because you think the use of your capital invested in that business for them to go and take it and reinvest it into what they are doing best, doing yep. a great job at. Um, so in the scheme of things, what are you focused on going forward and looking through reporting season? Yeah, specifically it'll be balance sheet resilience um, is, is a is a big factor in which we're looking at um you know 24 months ago it didn't really matter what your debt load was because it was interest a, rates were so it low. was so low it was pretty well free cash not quite but close enough um nowadays business are paying provided they haven't you know had it absolutely branded in their in their debt hedging positions um businesses are starting to see this rising interest expense um really implicating the bottom line so we're really focusing on the on the balance sheet strength of businesses, particularly looking at their levels of gearing um, to ensure that they're not going to be in a position that if we are in structurally higher interest rates, 
and that's going to structurally reduce that dividend or, or erode that earnings capability. So we're really focusing on what businesses focus is as well. Um, are they going to look to pay down that debt? Where are they going to be paying that through? What's the implication of um, expensing more money from a dividend uh, from a debt repayment schedule perspective? So there'll be a lot of things that we'll be focusing on. Uh, but the balance sheet will be a, a big focus for us. Um, just as a bit of reference, lending costs in January 22 were at 1.5%. Okay? In May 23, they're at 5.2%. This is a business's lending cost. So a lot of your listeners who own a home obviously have seen that or have likely seen that in their personal expenditure line, but that flows through the business as well. And ultimately their ability to generate net earnings um, as a result. Yeah, that's right, because the cash flow to the business it isn't necessarily increasing on the back of that just direct expense to the business, um, which it's important to look at from an investor perspective because different businesses and different sectors typically have lower or higher levels of gearing. So having a look through that and then having a look at how defensive their earnings is, is really critical. And it's going to come down to sector by sector. And that's when you're looking at it and constructing portfolios. There's particular... Uh, sectors within the market that you believe are more defensive in nature, potentially have less gearing, and therefore will be able to ride out periods of higher inflation and slowing in the earnings um, going forward for the next 12 months. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's been an interesting environment. We, we're of the view that defensive businesses are where capital can be appropriately allocated to at the moment, and it, and it plays into the exact thesis that you're saying. Um, they have that ability to retain earnings as they are, mitigate the you know, material headwind of, of all these macro factors eroding their earnings. Um, and so we want to retain businesses that, that really have a stable or consistent cash flow outlook specifically. Um, and typically that's based on defensive businesses more so than these cyclical businesses that require a favorable environment um, in order to drive that earnings. Yeah. And particularly just highlight the sectors that would be reflective of defensive in nature? Yeah, so traditionally you'd look at healthcare and staples are among the best. Yep. Um, you also look at utilities, infrastructure um, to an extent. Yeah. Um, they're a little bit different by nature, utilities and infrastructure, but they do offer long duration, consistent, predictable cash flows, which as we've discussed, is something that we are really focusing on. Yeah, and from my perspective, when we talk about money management and going back to your own financial position, think about your fixed expenses within your budget versus your variable. Your fixed expenses like paying your utilities bill or going to the local shop and getting your groceries, you've got to do it. There's an expense within your budget that's just built in. So even if those prices go up, you've just got to pay for it. It's the businesses on the receiving end of that that are those defensive-like businesses. Yeah. So we are in a, the Australian reporting season, but any perspective or any themes going on overseas that you've been keeping an eye on? Oh, look, I mean, the big theme is just the AI hype, right? Yeah. There's been a lot of uh, media attention and investment interest in businesses exposed to artificial intelligence. Now, our position here is that, yes, there is a great blue sky investment opportunity if all things go to plan, um, but in order to generate that, I guess, blue sky opportunity, there is a significant capital expenditure cycle that's required in order to build the infrastructure that facilitates these technologies. So we do think that there is, you know, a little bit of turbulence to get to that North Star um, that a lot of investors have already factored into their forward outlooks. Um, so there is a lot of hype and then it really starts to play into 
well, what's fair value for these businesses? Um, it's undoubted. It's, I don't think you can question the, the multiple expansions and a lot of these mega cap technology companies more recently um, is certainly something that I guess investors should be cautious about. Um, if you're on the right side of the trade, you, you're very happy with a multiple expansion, but at the same time for for investors that are looking to enter that space, they just need to be cognizant on where they're trading relative to historic multiple levels. Um, because what you'll find is particularly in a few of these mega cap technology companies that are really driven the international indices higher, um, you start to see that multiple expansion and really rely on the outlook for this AI blue sky investment opportunity to play out um, without any bumps in the road, which mm. as seasoned investors know, there's you always hurdles and bumps that emerge um, that aren't necessarily considered when the the new new kid on the block really starts um, popping its head up. Yeah, I think the interesting part here is that the technology of artificial intelligence. It's about how businesses can use it to create efficiencies within their business, which then might provide them uh, greater output at a lower cost. Yep, they create greater earnings within the business. Now. How that plays out when you're talking about they can just get back on the back of a theme and the markets can run on the back of that theme. And if anything throws in there, yes, we're using AI to try and expand the business. We did see a similar thing occur with blockchain technology. Yep. So only a, a short period of time ago when blockchain technology was really the bee's knees and it was coming out and every business was trying to get on board and seeing how they could adapt blockchain technology to their and adapt it to their business to create efficiencies, um, we saw those businesses run. But what we did see is the ones that couldn't really grasp it and do it efficiently and actually engage it within their practices, um, it was a massive capital expense and it's resulted in a, it, to the detriment of that business in the short term um, because it hasn't played out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is, you know, there's been plenty of themes that have emerged throughout history in investment cycles that have just resulted in a absolute multiple expansion without those earnings necessarily following through. Now, the big focus for you know investors looking at this space will be actually monitoring that earnings, not the share price. Share price is a function of, of earnings on a multiple basis, ultimately, and a number of other things, but as a high-level basis. So um, until we start seeing those earnings flow through as a result of those productivity gains that are highly touted as the result of this AI boom, um, then you need to really proceed with caution. Um, because if you're buying something just based on a multiple basis or on a multiple expansion basis, then you can get into a little sticky situation when sentiment turns and um, it's not quite the you know sexiest theme in, in investment markets anymore. Yeah, uh, so I think there's really there's two ways to play that, and there's a clearly the high risk play, which is in your lower tech, um, and then the alternative is in that higher tech where you've got your big Googles and your Microsofts who have the capital and the ability to build teams to then really execute on the use of these AI the AI technology. So from an investor perspective, depending on your tolerance for risk, really have a think about what that looks like going forward. So back here in Australia, small cap space. Been an interesting getting a bit topical at the moment. How that what's the movements in that? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, small caps have underperformed large caps recently. Um, you know, really on the basis that when you get into a turbulent economic conditions, it's those smaller players with less entrenched revenue drivers and you know, less um, uh, strong market shares and the like um, that come under the most pressure because they just don't have the pricing power and the capabilities to withstand um, a changing economic environment. So there is, there will be a point, we don't think it's right now, but there will be a point 
where small caps will offer compelling value just based on the dislocation in valuation um, for the small caps relative to large caps. Um, they have certainly trailed recently and we aren't game enough to, to go in with, with much weight just yet, uh, but there will be an opportunity in the future we envision um, that will pose a compelling investment case just based on valuation grounds. Um, currently, they're discounted on the basis of, as I said, this you know turbulent economic environment and the, I guess, uncertainty as to what the earnings outlook looks for these businesses that don't necessarily have um, sustainable, predictable cash flows currently. So if or, or when the economic cycle turns and there will be an opportunity where small caps will undoubtedly outperform um, based on earnings growth, but then importantly, as per that AI, discussion that multiple expansion based on sentiment recovering and investment interest returning to the space um, so we are certainly keeping our eye on a few select names in the small cap space that we think offer that compelling long-term compounding growth optionality um, but at the moment we're sticking with the majors we're sticking with the big boys and girls um, that we think uh, offer more defensive um, exposure to equities at the moment yeah now, it would be remiss of me if we didn't cover the topic of commodities and resources because obviously it's a big part of our ASX, the companies and then BHP being one of those big players in there um, and also the outlook and some numbers and things coming out of China at the moment because um, they are cyclical in nature of you, as you've touched on a, a fair bit. But how's that looking and what's the prediction they're going for yeah definitely i mean it, the the theme hasn't really changed from i think when we last spoke um china is the big swing factor here they just recently printed deflation yeah um as, what they come out morning. last couple of days or yeah, yeah point yes. point negative point three percent so it wasn't as bad as expected but but still below um or, or still in deflationary um in a, in a deflationary point so um you know being a major consumer of particularly Australian commodities, we need to see a recovery in China in order to give us, I guess, comfort in the demand outlook for our bulk commodities. Um, China is becoming increasingly harder and harder to predict what they're going to do. Um, they did have their their, their meeting, uh, the Polo. I'm not, not going to try and explain, <laughs> uh, pronounce what their meeting's called, but um, they did have their meeting recently, and in effect, they guided towards potential fiscal support um, rolling through the economy in the coming months. Uh, they did not provide, however, any quantitative indication as to what that act will actually look like. Yeah, in it's terms a bit of, of a black box, China, and where that spend actually comes through will be will provide us a bit of a guide on whether that will be supportive of the commodities here in Australia or not. Yeah, so that'll certainly drive a bit of a bumpy ride in commodities over, yeah. over the next, you know, 12 months, um, but does offer um, a big swing factor if they do get their act together and um, really start pushing for economic growth as they historically have. Yeah. Um, I guess specifically on an earnings front, uh, BHB, Rio specifically, have already cut their dividend in the last report and you know, pretty materially, I think it was about 50% on PCP basis. So a um, big chunk of money um, cut off. And, you know, as I said, it, it's largely contingent on that on that cyclical nature of these commodities. And did we see price movement on the back of that? Uh, they're, you know, they're a little bit off all-time highs, but they're still pretty elevated. Yeah, to and what that represents is the fact that due to the cyclical nature, the investors in those businesses are aware that, yes, we went through this strong cash flow. They were just printing money. 
but the expectation was built into that share price yeah. that those dividends will be wound back. Yeah. So it's it's always remember that market is forward looking and you've got to be thinking about that factor. Yeah, so I mean what's driving that erosion is obviously earnings contracting, but they've also flagged a pretty material uptick in costs of production. So um, they're getting this kind of double double ended uh, uh, in situation whereby they're you know uh, top lines reducing and so too is is costs are creeping up. So it really really erodes that bottom line of earnings so um something to keep an eye on energy we've kind of touched on in a very similar vein um earnings will come off based on spot price stop spot price uh weakness um but ultimately we still think there's value in in a few of the large cap names albeit just need to be cognizant of the style investor that you are and you can't expect these you know historically high dividends to be paid in perpetuity um they are very cyclical in nature and while they still may offer um, um, value for certain investors if you are an income focused investor it's important to keep an eye on what that dividend outlook looks like um, and whether or not you're better repositioning your capital into businesses offering more defensive stable dividends in nature all right so put a bit of uh, accountability on the line what do you think through reporting season will surprise the upside and where do you see the risk to the downside um, across it just a sector level sure um i think well what i'll probably take an easy route here and healthcare has been disappointing to start the yep. reporting season um csl is a large component of that and they've already pre-guided to a to a downgrade um, we saw ResMed recently also offering a downgrade as well. So um, there is that has surprised in the short term, but we do think there's compelling value there for a few of those names um, to offer a bit of a recovery um, based on you know a bit of a normalisation in particularly the costing environment for these businesses um, as they run down excess COVID inventories and the like. We think that these businesses will incur earnings uptick particularly considering they won't see the same level of headwinds on a top line level that a few other sectors will. Yeah. Um, on the downside, uh, we are still cognizant of over leveraged businesses um, and based on the view that we think inf- uh, interest rates will remain a little bit higher for a little bit longer, um, anything with an over leveraged balance sheet will come under pressure. Properties, that the figurehead there, um, you know, we were looking through um, you know, all the A-REITs, so the Australian REITs in, um, on the market recently. And ultimately, the levels of gearing across the book is elevated to say the least. And it does pose the risk that these things, that these businesses or uh, real estate investment trusts, I should say, do get sold off on the back of over, over gearing, but then importantly, downgrade to asset prices, which is widely considered and I would argue factored in to prices at the moment. But um, it's something that we aren't we aren't confident in taking exposure to just yet. Um, outside of that, naturally discretionary uh, retailers will we expect come under pressure. Again, prices have reflected that recently, um, but um, we can't foresee a very favourable outlook for a lot of these retailers just based on economic demand um, currently in place. The one other I'd touch on is financials, um, which is a a very large component of the Australian market. Um, insurance Insurers have reported or started reporting and they've actually had a really favourable run-up in the last few months. Um, almost every single fund manager you read about has an overweight position to insurance at the moment. I think Suncorp was the most 
buy rated stock on the ASX for a period there. So um, there's certainly a lot of, uh, I guess, favorable um, outlooks for those. I'm probably, we're probably more on the downside there. Um, and I'm not comfortable taking a position in these businesses just based on the reinsurance um, costs that will be associated to a lot of these businesses um, that could likely erode these um, premium increases that they've put through to the consumer widely. Excellent, mate. That's uh, a pretty good summary, I think, of what to look forward to. Um, anything else you wanted to add? No, I'm, I'm. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think. Um, I think the big focus here will just be making sure you're selective in your exposure. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do see a souring economic environment, then index indices will get sold off. Um, but it doesn't mean all businesses will. Yeah. So being selective and being active, active in your exposure, I think, is really important in this environment. Um, outside of outside of that, in terms of a portfolio composition perspective, is really assessing your risk profile and your asset allocation. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you know, it's quite tough to do that on your own. So I encourage you to speak to your advisor or um, whoever it may be to kind of get a bit of a gauge as to where you should be allocating capital at the moment. Because um, in this environment with a, the need to be active and the need to be dynamic, a big lever you can pull is just reallocating your capital across different asset classes that offer different return profiles in different environments. Excellent point, mate. Now, obviously, reporting season will take place over the next few weeks. So what we'll do is actually do a, a reporting season wrap up at the end of this, where we can go and go through and see the hits and misses and uh, see whether our look through of reporting season actually was on the money or not. Yep. And then uh, after that, we intend to get a few guests on and speak through a bit more macro um, and a little bit more specific to niche sectors and the like, um, really across all financial markets. So um, we're, I'm looking forward to yeah, having a few people. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, mate. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks for tuning in.